electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The run to new records as stocks and your money hit even more milestones today. Just how far is this rally capable of going? We discuss and debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Lake. Jim Labenthal, John Ajari, and Degas Wright is the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management. Let's go to the wall. I'll show you where the markets are, and we are now in the red for the most part. Dow's hanging on to the green barely. S&P's gone negative. NASDAQ's now down by one half of 1%. You're looking at the Russell there, but a big story is the 10-year. That's what I'm hoping that we're going to show you. There it is, 128. As Carl said, it's a one-year high. Stephanie Link, we were looking pretty good today, and now I wonder if we're going to start fixating a little bit on this ride in the, rise in the 10-year. What do you think? We're a long ways to go, I think, in the tenure before we have to get nervous. Look, Scott, we've talked about this uh, fiscal and monetary policies. I talk about this number all the time in terms of what is in the system. And if you add the $1.9 trillion proposed fiscal package from the Biden administration, that is now up to 55% of U.S. GDP. That is not something to fight. That is something to absolutely embrace for risk assets, because along with the vaccines getting distributed, that actually is going to lead to better GDP growth. That is going to lead to better earnings growth. That means you want to own more cyclicals. You definitely want to have the barbell that we talked about, but you know I've been leaning much more towards cyclicals. So I care more about this stimulus, by the way, versus the 10-year. And oh, by the way, let me embrace the 10-year, right? Like I own in financials and I actually uh, am overweight financials and I've been adding to my financial positions because they will benefit from a higher uh, or a steeper yield curve. So I think you embrace it. I think you don't fight the Fed. There's a reason that they say that. And uh, I'm, I'm all in. I, I have very little cash. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, John and Jerry, and you look at what's happening in technology today. I'm looking at my screen. That's why I'm looking away. Uh, we're down 50 on the Nasdaq. And as the 10-year yield has gone up, the Nasdaq has gone down. Um, there is a corner that suggests that, you know, tech becomes less attractive in a higher rate world. Not that we're in a very high rate world, obviously, but if the 10-year yield continues, John, to go up, you're going to have some questioning which parts of the market are better to be in. Yeah, and it is the, uh, the speed, uh, the convexity that's going on, Judge. Uh, that's what people are mildly concerned about. Are they dumping stocks willy-nilly? Of course not. Um, and Stephanie's exactly right. If, if the government's going to be throwing $1.9 trillion more at the market, um, in particular at certain sectors of the market, yeah, the, we're going to see uh, a situation where you'd much rather be invested than on the sidelines. Um, but uh, the speed at which we make these moves is what gets people a little uh, antsy. Let's just say that. That's fair. Not worried That's fair. so much as just kind of... Yeah, you, just I mean, a you're little nervousness in the pit of your stomach. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're mm -hmm. at 129. John, you know, you know, you know, Steph says, OK, well, if they're going up for the right reason, embrace rising rates, you know, don't fight the Fed. That's all fair and good until rates continue to rise 
And then the real test is on for the market, right, John? Yeah, exactly, Scott. And uh, you've got, obviously, this is without any moves or any uh, hints from the Fed that they're talking about moving rates at all. This is just the market-driven uh, demand that's pushing these rates up and pushing them up pretty fast right now. I think it tops out. Um, but uh, to Steph's point, you know, if, if instead of us getting here at the end of the year, Scott, uh, instead of getting to 129, 130 at the end of the year, if it's more like, okay, we could be at 150 by April or even sooner, um, I think that makes the market a little nervous and a little vulnerable in the short term. Uh, so I don't think that Jerome Powell is going to do anything uh, at this point at all for as far as rates. And I don't think that Janet Yellen's going to do anything except champion uh, basically pushing out more. Um, so I, I think that uh, is going to be one of the real drivers going forward as to whether or not we see um, a continuation of the speed of this rally in rates or whether or not it does kind of lose some of that momentum and they start turning lower. But obviously, today they're not. Yeah. They're going higher. Well, you're going to have to look at the, you know, consider the multiples relative to interest rates. Carl was saying before our show began, the yield on the S&P, 1.5%. You get a creep towards that, and then you got a real conversation. What I find very interesting today, too, and I think our viewers will um, as well, is nobody's really making any moves except for that guy right there in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, Degas Wright. And, and he's doing a lot of stuff, and I wonder what that says, Degas, about your current view of the market. You've sold some things like McDonald's and O'Reilly, clocking some profits there, and you've bought General Motors and Etsy and Netflix and Activision and Disney. By the way, Activision, one of 66 new S&P 500 52-week highs today. So talk me through your strategy here today. Yeah, so Scott, ultimately what we're looking at is that we had some profits, so we took those off the table and we redeployed. And what we looked at is that one, General Motors, it is heavily focused on the EV technology. And this is where it's going to really take leaps and bounds going forward. Uh, as we did our research into this company and looked at our models, we indicated, we found that this company actually has a very, uh, it's, it's priced very well. So what we look at, and, and we, a lot of times we talk about valuation. So I wanted to spend some time talking about the way we value companies. Ultimately, we look at several different measures, and one of those measures is the operating cash flow yield, where you take cash flow and you subtract out the uh, operating expense and the uh, uh, capital uh, market uh, capital expenditures, and then you divide it by the, the price. And so what we found is that when we looked at that type of measure, the uh, General Motors had a very rich 34% yield. So that's really good from a valuation perspective. We also looked at Etsy. Etsy is into the creative entrepreneurship. It is a company that's very innovative and it's providing opportunities for people to be entrepreneurs. 95% of these companies actually work from home. And we all, we've already been talking about work from home category. Netflix, it is, it's, a, it's a growth story because it's actually growing faster in Asia Pacific than anywhere else. And because it's the mobile platform. So this gets us into not only the EV, it gets us into the entrepreneurship drive with Etsy, we have the streaming with Netflix. Disney gets streaming and it gets into the 
um, open the the opening of the economy with the parks and lastly activision gets into gaming so we looked at where are we going as an economy looking at valuations and so that's why we made these moves okay so jim labenthal um here's what you got so we've got we've got rates going up right but at the same time we have rates going up we have earnings expectations that are going up as well that's what david costin is writing about today over at goldman sachs they're raising their S&P 500 2021 EPS forecast to 181. Decide what multiple you want to put on that to get where you, where you think we're going to go. He says in six months, you got 4,100 on the S&P, 12 months, 4,300. You use some words today in our notes that make me a little nervous. You say, quote, it's clear <laughs> sailing for right now. Clear sailing for right now, Jim. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's gonna put that up on you the gotta, wall. I'm gonna bring that back up if the, I have to. Was, I'm gonna have to bring that back up, baby. It, hey, Scotty, it was a composite <laughs> sentence. I said it's clear sailing for now, but yeah. look out for higher interest rates and higher taxes. I mean, listen, it is clear sailing when you look at earnings, but let me be super clear so that when we come back to this, we know exactly what we're talking about. One and a half percent on the 10 year. You've got a problem in the stock market, period. Why? Because take a look at the earnings yield. If you take an Apple, a Microsoft, a Facebook, a Google at 30 times earnings, that's a 3.3 percent earnings yield. That's right where it's supposed to be if the if the 10 year is one percent. If the 10-year is 1.5% and you add the equity risk premium of about 2.5 percentage points, that gives you an earnings yield of 4%, which means the P.E. on those stocks should be 25, not 30. And that's a good 12% lower than we are now. That's not a crash, but it's a correction. So, yeah, it's clear sailing, but until you get to 1.5% on the 10-year, this market will go through a correction. That's the thing to look out for. I don't know. Steph said embrace Jim, higher rates. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just going to say, Jim, what if GDP comes in at 7% this year? What if earnings actually come in up 30% this year? That means that, the, that rates are going up, as Scott said before, for the right reasons. Because all of this stimulus, it takes a while to get into the system. It usually takes about 12 months. And so we're 11 months into this thing, and certainly some parts of the economy have benefited from the stimulus, but not all. And so you are going to see better growth rates. And I think that's what the bond market is telling you at this point. And all, by the way, I think it's also telling you that there's a little bit more inflation than we expected. I certainly expect more inflation. My portfolio is certainly well, positioned Steph, for more inflation ahead. <clears throat> Steph, you and I normally see things eye to eye. Sometimes we differ, and here's where we differ right now is I think those growth rates are absolutely priced into the markets right now. I think that, third, you know, we're looking at S&P 500 operating earnings of 175 this year, 192 next year. That gives you about a 22 and a half multiple on the market overall right now on this year's earnings. And what I'm saying to you is I think the market has priced in those growth rates that you're talking about. Now, look, from here, we're at 127 on the 10 year. OK, well, it's still ways to go to one and a half percent. But I just don't think that we can justify the same multiple at one and a half percent that we justified at 125. Jim, you said we're a week at, ago it was 115 or three months ago it was one percent. You, you said we're at 127 on the 10 year. We're at 129 when the show started. If you keep talking, we might cl clip 130. <laughs> by the time our show is, is over today. And by the way, you know, there, there is people seem to be, you know, it's, it's hard to find reasons to be negative in the market. OK, I think we can all agree on that. If you look at the fact of what we're talking about here, earnings expectations are up. Virus cases 
are way down. Okay, that's a good thing. B of A fund manager survey says the only reason to be bearish is there's no reason, John, to be bearish. That's their note today. Right. So everybody's on one side of the boat. And then that makes you a little bit nervous to be on that side of the boat as well, because at some point you might tip over. Yeah, it it certainly could, Scott. Um, But then you you look at uh, the banks, the financials that we're talking about uh, and seeing how how well they've done Um, the charge offs, even as rates have moved up. That'll be more interesting, Scott, going forward to see exactly how do people do with higher interest rates on uh, adjustable rate mortgages and things like that, Uh, because they will certainly be adjusting with the move that Jim just cited from 1% up to 129.999, wherever we are, just shy of that 130, Scott. But on the other hand, um, the ROE for many of these stocks, like KeyBank just reported a 16.6 versus 14 year over year, um, you know, for Key, K-E-Y. Uh, these are some phenomenal numbers, and they're being recognized, of course, across the street. You know, Goldman moves its target up for Bank America. Wedbush moves its target up for many of these stocks as well. So obviously, uh, these stocks will do well with that higher spread between the twos and tens. But again, it's back to the speed. If we top out and basically, you know, find a, a level at around this point, 130-ish, that's not so bad. If we just burn through this and go to 135, and in two weeks we're talking about 140, uh, Katie, bar the door, Scott. The market will not put up with that in the short term. Can we deal with it long term? Yes, that's still a very great um, uh, growth rate for the market as far as a 1.5% yield. Yeah, no problem. But in the short term, the market will react to that Fund managers will react to that. Degas, it's, it's no shock that as we're talking about rates going up and we look at J.P. Morgan, which is up two and a half percent today and Goldman's up. And those are on among the 66 S&P 500 stocks today that have hit new highs. There's a big push today from Wall Street um, strategists and analysts into industrial stocks as well. Part of the reflation trade can accords Tony Dwyer. Uh, industrial sectors, relative opportunity, banks and industrials. That's uh, Mike Wilson today, who continues to recommend, he says, a barbell of Garpy growth stocks. That's growth at a reasonable price. Pro-cyclical areas of the market, the best way to participate. What do you say? Yeah, so what we're looking at is a company, Metler Toledo. And what it does, it actually is one of the leading companies globally uh, that provides precision uh, machinery parts. And so and it's in several different areas. It's in uh, the food manufacturing. It's in auto manufacturing. So as the economy recovers, you're going to see companies like uh, the uh, Mettler Toledo actually starting to do well. It's already doing well. It's actually providing the backbone, if you will, for the recovery to occur as it relates to these machine parts. So I agree with what the street is saying. Plus, as we look at the... <clears throat> Um, operating cash flow yield is right around four and a half percent. So you're getting a yield. Also, you're getting a return on this capital. So we like the industrial section. Steph, let me ask you this. Why no moves at all from you, which somewhat surprises me just because, you know, it's not like you're buying and selling a million stocks, but you tend to be more active than my sheet says you are right now. (laughs) Yeah, just this week, right? I mean, I've been making moves 
Actually, the biggest moves that I've made uh, were back in December, and that's when I did go overweight materials, financials, and industrials. We talked about it at length uh, because that's the part of the market where I do think is not frothy, is not expensive. You typically buy cyclicals when they look expensive on a PE basis, but that's because you're at the trough of earnings. So as you see the economy recover, you're going to see earnings really uh, explode because you're going to have that operating leverage. Plus, these companies in these, in these sectors have done a remarkable job at restructuring, at cost-cutting, taking out overhead. They're still doing it because they're not out of the woods just yet. But I think that those are the areas where I see value at this point, um, less so on tech. I still own tech. I still own some things. Uh, in tech, I'm skewed on the cyclical side of tech. So semi, semi-cap equipment, those kinds of names. So I think there are places you can you could add to. And oh, by the way, I, I have been add, nibbling here and there uh, over the last uh, a couple of weeks because it's earnings season. And as you know, I call it silly season. And stocks completely overreact on the way up and on the way down. And so I've been nibbling a little bit, but just not so much this week. It's remarkable when you consider rates today are higher than they were a, a year ago, that this Friday marks a year since the markets topped out before the pandemic sent stocks tumbling. Um, Mike Santoli's been taking a look today at what the conditions were then versus what they are now. Um, you know, who knew that things were about to tip over in a big way, uh, Mike? But what have you found? Yeah, uh, certainly nobody really knew in this precise way. What's, ama- what's amazing really is probably how things line up pretty closely in terms of general kind of market field position. For example, the S&P was up 16% in the prior six months, that February 19th, 2020 peak. It's just about up the same amount in the past six months. Um, high yield spreads, almost exactly where they were back then. They took a tremendous round trip. Uh, and I think in general, the market conversation is very similar. We were clicking in an orderly way to new highs. You had a little bit of a pullback late January, early February. People were wondering and maybe worrying if, if sentiment was a little bit uh, too complacent. But here are the differences, because I think all those things apply right now as they applied then. Uh, the difference is the Treasury yield curve was flat then, and we were basically in this late cycle mode of expecting profit margins and the economy to roll over. The expansion was, you know, seen to be just running on fumes, uh, tight labor market. So we have the almost the opposite right now. Obviously, still too high unemployment. We have now a very sharply steepening uh, Treasury yield curve, and we have a Fed that's not looking for the opportunity to tighten anytime soon. So you've reset the cycle in a way that's different. Also, you can't deny this source of speculative, uh, aggressive energy, this new money flow into the market. We can talk about it being a risk, but you can also talk about it just changing the overall characteristics and rhythm of this market in a way that's definitely working in both directions. Um, So I do think all those things kind of fit together. And finally, I'm not saying, by the way, that because we were kind of heading toward a cliff a year ago under similar conditions, we're heading toward a cliff now. The fact that we had this massive black swan, the forced shutdown of the economy, this unprecedented set of events less than a year ago, probably means we're not due for one again. So I think that we're basically, the conversation a year ago was like, eh, market might be looking for an excuse to pull back a little bit, to consolidate, to retrench along some areas and maybe take down some of those uh, those winners before too long, just because you do have this sense that most people are all in, as right. you were talking about with that B of A survey. Well, and a correction, if you do get one, doesn't necessarily upset what I think the most critical word that you used is, and that's the cycle, Yeah. right? There were questions as to whether the cycle was long in the tooth last February, heading into this Friday and that anniversary date. Now, as you said, because of the Fed, 
and now expectations of even more stimulus. They've reset the cycle. And the question is, how long and how powerful does that go? That's right. And that is the question. I mean, it, it's got features of, you know, let's say 2010 when we were coming out of this long uh, downturn. This was a short concentrated downturn, but the Fed's posture is going to be we're waiting till full employment. So all that stuff I think you could take as a premise. Now, is the market going to try and over-anticipate that moment when the Fed's going to maybe become less generous if yields continue in this in this direction? Is it going to pull up expectations for Fed tech? Maybe, uh, but I do think that's more the market trying to almost talk itself into a position than anything else. If something seems like if people are just offsides with this rate move and, and all of a sudden it creates financial stress in the rest of the capital markets, that's the thing to look for, uh, or if somebody's caught upside down in the electricity trading market. I can come up with stress events that could be out there, but there's nothing you're seeing in the market behavior itself that's telling you uh, that really we are, you know, dancing on the edge of that. Well, because I could come up with some things, too, that take the edge off, right? Yes. And that is the Fed getting even more engaged than it already is, because if you look in the, you know, the underlying economy, it doesn't tell the same picture of, that the stock market does, not where unemployment is and where it's right. likely to be for many, many, many months until you get to the other side of the pandemic and perhaps way beyond. Without a doubt. And, you know, that's that's backstopping everything. And, you know, you say a correction wouldn't change anything. I mean, we got 10 percent in two weeks back in, in September. Um, it didn't really change the overall story. It was a positioning shock. It was a kind of a let's readjust because we've over played our hands in certain stocks and certain parts of this market that can come along at any time. Yeah. Appreciate it, Mike. All right. Making us think as always. Um, so so we have Jim Lamenthal back yet. We have him. Yeah, I'm here. Jim, I'm here. you with me? I heard, I heard yeah. you, you the, me? the alarm or something going off. Yep. So we lost you for a second. How yeah, about this idea, though? I think the most profound thing we take from that is this reset of the cycle. That, that's what we're in. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second, because there's one other implication directly from that is the growth versus value debate. Let's go back. Mike was going back to February of last year. That was after three years of growth just beating the hell out of value, right? Take a look at the last six months. Large cap value and large cap growth are neck and neck. That's a very important uh, difference from where we were a year ago. Large cap growth and large cap value are both up about 20% over the last six months. And what that tells me is also, you know, early cycle versus late cycle is there's a broad rally that can absolutely continue. So when I hear Degas talking about adding to GM or whatever the other company, uh, uh, Toledo, something or other, I think right on. All right. It doesn't just have to be Apple, Google and Microsoft. It can be GM. It can be Cleveland Cliffs. It can be industrials and even energy. I mean, are we even talking about how energy has done over the last six months? Well, we've talked six a months lot. ago. We thought this, this sector would never come back. We've, we, we thought we it was going we've talked a lot about it. The, the question is, it's gone a long way. You know, why, why should we assume that it's going to keep going? Certainly with the power. For many reasons. Pardon the pun that it's gone For now. For many reasons. For many reasons. I mean, you look at where energy prices are. You look at the events over the weekend. And what those events tell you is, yes, renewable energy needs to come. But the runway for it to really be the reliable source of the electrical grid is years and years and years. Years in which lithium and cobalt are going to be mined using fossil fuels. Steel mills are going to be producing wind turbine blades with fossil fuel energy and transported using fossil fuel energy. Fossil fuel is going to be here for a while, guys. I still, John, have, um, you know, analysts who are running up their price targets on big cap tech, thinking that, you know, it's it mm -hmm. worked before the pandemic. As Mike Santoli was saying, 
it worked for the most part during the pandemic. Yes, it took a little bit of pause in the later fall and that it's going to work when you come out of the pandemic. Microsoft, which a lot of people on this desk own, Target raised to 300 bucks. That's from 285. That ties a street high, overweight, Wedbush. I've got Alphabet upgraded to a buy. That's at Loop Capital. The Target to 25, 25. Uh, BMO were accidental fang bulls, they say. It's the first time they've recommended all of the fang stocks. I mean, take that for whatever it's worth. You can be late to the party, but if the party has a long way to go, who cares what time you show up? If there's still time to go, there's still time to go. Stephanie Link. <laughs> That's great. Um, I own Microsoft and I own Alphabet. I prefer Alphabet. Um, because it, it lagged all of last year to the relative, relative to the fangs. And you're going to see digital advertising recover. You already, you've already seen it. But the interesting thing to me, the most interesting thing, because uh, we know digital advertising is coming back. We know travel is coming back eventually, that kind of thing. But you have operating leverage here. And that's when you make a lot of money. When operating margins go up and your top line goes up, that means your bottom line goes up a lot more. And so I think that Alphabet is positioned well. They have a ton of cash. They're buying back. They had $28 billion uh, buyback that they announced last year. I think they're going to add to that. I think they've gotten more transparent. That's a good thing, too. But this would be the only one that I'm really overweight in the FANG world. Um, I am a little bit overweight in Amazon, also because of the operating leverage. They've gotten religion as well. Um, but I do think that the better value is in Alphabet. Microsoft on market weight, I mean, the stock's up 80% from the March lows. So I get why you would raise the target because they're in all these excellent end markets. But I think it's, it's kind of known at this point. You're, you're all over the, this new high S&P list in very cyclical areas. You got Cat, which is on my list today. You got Deer, which is on my list today. You've got Estee Lauder, uh, which is also on the list. Um, you got Lamb Research and some technology too. But talk me through Cat and Deer and some of these other names, Fortinet that I talked about. Yeah, well, so Cat was actually one of the names that after they reported earnings, the stock fell, and I actually added to it because I really do believe in the infrastructure cycle, in mining CapEx. We talk about the commodity prices going high across the board. They will be a beneficiary. They've got a very strong balance sheet and a really good CFO who has his hands around the cyclicality part of things. Deer, it's all about precision farming, which is going to be a $27 billion total addressable market by the end of the decade. And they're doing an amazing job. What does that mean? It's, it's just adding more technology into their systems, into their tractors, into their products. And that is actually going to lead to better efficiency. And it already has. Um, the stocks had done really nicely this year. It's up 18% year to date. It's not one I've been adding to, but it's one I'm holding to. Estee Lauder, I mean, they just, it's a remarkable company. I mean, they post a 3% growth rate on top line when everyone was expecting down mid single digits. Uh, and skin care was up 28% yeah. year over year. So I, I love that story. That management is terrific. Um, and so, yeah, so those are the, the, those are the few that, you know, if they were to pull back even more on a, you know, bad day or something. Those are the three I would actually add to. All right. Nice day for EL up 2%. Up next, three stocks trading down after their earnings, including CVS, Zoetis, Palantir. We've got trades from the Investment Committee coming up next on The Half. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, 
Visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is extending a moratorium on housing foreclosures until June 30th. That's all part of new actions to help homeowners struggling during the pandemic. U.S. air passenger traffic fell more than 60 percent last year. Domestic airlines say that air travel demand remains more than 60 percent through the beginning of this month, remains down more than 60 percent. Citigroup has lost a bid to get back about $500 million that it paid in error to Revlon bondholders. A judge says that the wire transfers are final. Citigroup says that it will appeal the ruling. And Amy Cooper, the woman arrested last spring for calling 911 during a racist dispute with a black man at New York Central Park, well, she's had her criminal case dismissed today. This after completing a five-session counseling program. You might remember this case gained national attention and cost Cooper her job. The incident, of course, happened on the same day that George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis. Scott, you are up to date. I will send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, appreciate that. We'll see you later, by the way, with some of the calls of the day today. Look forward to that. Let's talk about some of these earnings moves today. We mentioned three stocks reported all down today. Jim, CVS, uh, comps up 5.3. Yeah. What's the problem? I don't know if there is a problem. I mean, I'm kind of searching for the reason. I think expectations were that they would guide higher than they did. I see absolutely nothing wrong with the earnings, and I'm very comfortable holding it as they continue to delever the balance sheet. But today's response is very disappointing. What is it, down 5% right now, I think? Yeah, but... Um, for those of you who don't own it, this is a buying opportunity. Yeah, I know, but, but, you're, ahead, Scott. But, but you're acting, Jimmy, like this thing was... Uh you know, off to the races in before the earnings. This, the stock has done nothing over the last few months. Why not, if it's so good? Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, you listen, I look at a longer time frame than the last few months. I mean, this was a stock that okay. was in the low 60s oh. about a year ago. You didn't want to do um, that. You didn't want to do that either, because the last 12 months, it's done nothing, too. It's totally flat. <laughs> yeah. Back to you. Scott, I, you know what the problem is, is I'm looking in the camera and I can't see the chart, but that's not I how I remember this. Stock's I been can. a nice performer. All right, hang on. I'm going to look down. We'll look at do it. As look at you it. go to Steph or somebody, Look we'll at the TV back. right there. Do you have a TV hang in front on. of you? Look at it. One year. I don't. I'm looking at. Donut. I'm looking at this. Donut. Scott. Scott, come on, man. This, look. <laughs> All right. You know what? Yes, it has under. Okay, relax. Everybody calm down. It has underperformed, particularly after today's 5% drop. But I haven't been disappointed in this stock. I think this is where there's a lot of value potential. You want to rip me up on this? That's fine. No, no. I'm very comfortable holding CVS. No, I just want you to fight a little bit harder for it, Jimmy. That's all. I got viewers watching here. The problem is, is... The problem is I'm looking in the camera. I can't, like, see what I, you know, I can't pull it up. I I have to go on what my feel is, which that it's done well for me and will continue to do well. Is it Apple or Microsoft? No. Um, But the 5% pullback today, for any of you who are out there looking, it's inexplicable. The market sometimes does that. If you don't own it, this is your opportunity. Okay. Stephanie Link, you're not off. I know you're laughing at Jim, but you're not off the hook because you have Zoetis. By the way, the CEO is on the (laughs) closing bell today, 4 o'clock. Zoetis beat. Uh, that stock's down today. That's also been a nothing over the last yeah. few months. What's going on with that one? 
but it's up 78% from the March lows. So it certainly has participated in okay. the recovery. And I think it's a silly I think it's a silly reaction today. And if it falls more, I will buy more because they beat total revenue by 4%. Companion Animal, which is the reason I own this this stock, was up 25% in the quarter. People were thinking 15%. They're clearly gaining market share in this segment of the market, and it's a 4 to 5 billion dollar total addressable market. So they're taking share and you've got great growth. The reason it's down is because the bottom line beat on tax, on a lower tax rate. And you know, investors don't really like that for the short term. But I think you want to take advantage of it. They also raised guidance, by the way. And I think there's a huge opportunity internationally as well in China. So I think that there's a lot. There's a long runway for this company. You have to just stick patient, stay patient and pick your spots. OK. And I will. John Nigerian, I, I come to you laughing all the way to the bank was John uh, a little while ago because Palantir, even though it's down and substantially today at more than 10 percent, you own stock and calls. Um, this thing's obviously had a, a yes, run. Yes, sir. Yeah, it, it had a great run, and this is one Jim should be laughing at John about. Uh, and by the way, Jim, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing at you not being able to see the chart. Uh, but as far as Palantir, Scott, it's all yeah, good, brother. the quarter was not, <laughs> it was not what it needed to be over at Palantir at all, Scott. Um, but on the conference call, they said they're at the tip of the iceberg as far as government contracts. And we all know Uncle Sam has a really big checkbook uh, and they're writing unlimited checks out of that checkbook right now, Scott. Right. So um, I, I looked around at puts. Could I have bought a put that would have helped me out here? No. You know, the, the stock fell from, you know, 33 bucks back down here, broke through 30 and got into the 29-ish area. The puts wouldn't have helped me, believe it or not, because they were so fat that all I would have picked up was a buck on that put and it wouldn't have been enough to offset the $4 drop in the stock. So um, I wish I would have played it differently, Scott, but would I dump it now? No, not based on those conference call comments. There's not really a one-day event in stock, so it might be soft again tomorrow. I think that gives you your opportunity to get in. All right. Jim knows I'm just playing around, too, having a little fun with him. Can't, he can't. I, I know, I, listen, I'm sorry, Scotty. I was, I was a little out of sorts, but it's I okay. love it when we play around like this, so I'm not, there's no issues. Are you back? <laughs> Are we good? Yeah, I, that fire alarm kind of messed me up. Yeah, to tell threw you, the you truth. a little bit. Threw you for a loop. All right, no worries. You're back. It's all good. Up next, John's latest trades in unusual activity. Plus, in celebration of Black History Month, we're honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is the host of NBC's American Ninja Warrior, Akbar Bajabita Miller. He is discussing the importance of financial education for the black community. There are too many people in my community that the highest level of investment that they know of are CDs. The knowledge isn't there. Sometimes I wish I could just be the black financial Superman and just go to everyone's house and say, hey, here are the resources. But the resources aren't available to a lot of people in my community because you have to make a certain amount of money and we've got to tear down that wall. I want everybody to get in. I want everybody to win. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back, Doc. Unusual activity. What do you have for us today? Well, Scott, uh, we've got XLF to kick it off. So, of course, this is Berkshire Hathaway. Um, this is Bank America. This is JP Morgan. It's everybody in the financial space, really. And the stock was, or the ETF was 32 bucks a share this morning. They were reaching up and buying the 33 calls out in April, Scott. And they bought 50,000 of them. That's 5 million share equivalent. Obviously, a large institutional bet that shares go significantly higher and perhaps even push to that 35-ish level or so um, by April. I'll be in those calls about six weeks, Scott. Second trade, Las Vegas Sands. And as you said, top of the show, um, we're seeing cases, knock on wood, Mm -hmm. uh, down significantly for covid Uh, These guys, the the more of these vaccinations, 1.6 million a day that are going out there, that's great news for gaming. Uh, They were buying these May calls at the 60 strike with the stock roughly $56.70. So in other words, about $4 above where we are. I'll be in these several months. And I think that perfectly coincides with when Vegas really starts to see the ramp from people being more comfortable going back out and those gaming tables, slots, and all the rest filling up again, Scott. Big move there, Doc. Thank you. Up next, three big analyst calls of the day, plus Ask Halftime. Send your questions by video, and we will play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We'll be right back. Let's get to Rahel Solomon. She's back with us with our calls of the day. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Yeah, so let's start with Exxon. Credit Suisse bumping the price target here at 10 bucks to $62 a share. The stock is up 36% in the past three months. Now, Scott, analyst community, not exactly sold on the stock. Only a third have buy calls. About half say hold and 11% say sell. Now, that said, this is the highest buy percentage since March of 2019. So, Scott, perhaps the tide is turning here. And Barrett is downgrading American Express to neutral. The note here is saying that they're stepping to the sidelines and that there's already quite a bit of optimism baked into the price. And that's despite uncertainty ahead. The stock is about 7% from a fresh all-time high that was reached in January 2020, although Scott still down more than 4% in the past 12 months. I'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you again, Rahel Solomon. The Investment Committee answering your questions now. First up, we have one for Stephanie Link. It's from Sunny in Honolulu, Hawaii. I bought Air Products when you mentioned it in November. What's your take on it now? Well, it's done fairly well. Um, and in, in fact, it, it's a name I, I added again on the, the earnings where it fell about 8% in two days. It was a very good quarter. But you have to step back and just look at this is a duopoly in industrial gases. And they're the leader. They have a great balance sheet, fabulous management team. They have $7 billion to deploy around the world in projects. So the story in my mind is just beginning. Uh, and uh, I think that they're going to continue to do quite well. And the execution is flawless. OK, Jimmy, you got a big fan in Munich, Germany. George wants to know, what's the best name in the defense industry sector going forward right now? 
Well, first, take a look at the subsector that's aerospace, missiles, aviation, and satellites, because that's where the growth is going to come for the next few years in defense spending. It's not going to be ships from my beloved Navy. When you realize that, you go to Northrop Grumman. That's the top of the list. You can also look at Lockheed Martin uh, as a second choice there. Okay, thank you for that. John Najarian is a video question from Sandra in North Carolina. Hi, my name is Sandra Krauss, and I'm interested in Airbnb, and I'm wondering if it's a good time to still buy at this price point. Okay, what do you tell Sandra? Well, Sandra, I, I like Airbnb a lot, and you know I bought it right after the IPO. I've been in it you know, for weeks now uh, and loving the ride. Uh, the CEO over at Expedia, Peter Kern, said that the only area of their business that's growing is VRBO, vacation rental by owner, which they own now. And I think that bodes very well for Airbnb. So, yeah, I'm sticking with Airbnb. OK, thank you for that. And lastly, Degas to you from Ferguson, California. NVIDIA has run out recently before earnings. Seeing the recent price action of AMD, should I buy AMD instead or should I wait until NVIDIA reports? Yeah, so I believe I'm a, a um, holder of NVIDIA. And the reason I hold it is because with AMD, you're only going to get the chip. But with NVIDIA, you're getting a chip maker that does the GeForce for all the games on all those different consoles. Plus, you're getting a green data center provider. So you, and also, the data center provider is actually going to start bringing in more revenue. So I would, what I would do, since NVIDIA is reporting later in the month, I would put half the position into NVIDIA now and then wait till after the um, announcement to put in your other half. But I'm definitely a, a supporter of NVIDIA in this case. All right. Thank you, Degas, for that. All right. Coming up, Bitcoin is pulling back after hitting an all-time high of more than 50000 today. Still a nice move. 48467 We'll find out how the futures traders are playing it. Do it next. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. All right, it's time for the Futures Outlook. Bitcoin crossing 50000 for the first time ever. Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg and Scott Nations. Kilberg, you're first. Where's the next stop? Well, Judge, we actually saw it print above 51,000. That's the CME Group's February contract. Very high volume. And I think the next stop is higher, Judge. And why is that? It's supply and demand. It's supply and demand if it's any asset class. But here we are in a digital asset class. They've only minted about 150 to 200,000 Bitcoins in the last couple of months. And the demand is much higher. So I think the broader swath adoption, we know PayPal story. We know the Bank of New York custodianship. But I'm actually talking to business owners here in Chicago. They want to pay their employees in Bitcoin. So I think that momentum keeps a bid in Bitcoin. It's not going to be a straight line, Judge, but it's going to 100,000, I think, in 2021. Oh. All right. Scott Nation's kill killer's going out on a limb here, just like he did before <laughs> Notre Dame got rolled by Bama. What's your trade? Wow. <laughs> that, that is harsh, I will admit. But it's also harsh technically for Bitcoin because – to the upside, there's no support. Uh, the interesting thing here, Scott, though, is that it's only barely overbought the relative strength index for the Bitcoin futures is just over 72. We, we know it can get much more overbought. It got to 85 at the end of November, got to 95 in January. Both were resolved by big one-day sell-offs. 15% resolved the, the overbought situation in January. 
So if you're looking for help technically to the upside, there's nothing there. I mean, the target there is to the moon. To the downside, 40,000 is important. That's where this rally really got going. So if you're a bear, that's the target. Yeah. All right, guys, good stuff. Sorry, Killer. Sorry about that. I'll make you, it up to you next time. Jeff Kilberg, Scott yeah. Nations, Final Trades are next. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. All right, Jim Labenthal, I want to talk to you for a second about Roku, which reports on Thursday. I know that you don't own it right now, but do you have thoughts on the company? Well, I, first off, I would love it if they could grow into their earnings, but I'm not going to buy it at these valuations. It's 50 times 2025 earnings. The momentum, however, is the reason I've owned it in the past. The momentum looks good right now, so I would expect that continues unless the market rolls over. If you ask me why I'm not in it, the simple answer is that, you know, aside from CVS, all my other stocks are doing so well that why do I have to play hot potato with Roku, a very expensive stock? But the momentum looks good. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to be one of those that you occasionally enjoyed playing a little hot potato with, if for no other reason that it was, you know, <laughs> fun to watch the stock, stock run up. What, what would get you back in, if anything? Well, it's hard to do at this price. I mean, flat out, it's hard at this price. So if there was a price break point, it consolidated for like a month or so and then regained momentum, that's when I would do it. But it's been on a solid momentum tear since October. I last sold it at 275, Judge. Um, let wow. me get a little break in the price, see a consolidation, and then maybe I'd do it again. Yeah, you, and, you, and you killed it in that stock, too. I, it, it, it is a remarkable run. It's a double <laughs> in three months. In the last three months, it's a double. It, it's, it's incredible. Just, that's cray-cray. It's incredible. All, all right, give me a final trade uh, while you're at it, Farmer Jim. Uh, Walmart, I don't always step in front of earnings. I'm going to step in front of earnings here. I don't like the chart, but I like the fundamentals on Walmart. Okay, Degas? NVR Home Builder. Okay, thank you. Uh, Doc? DVN, Devon Energy Judge, bought calls during the show. Okay, and the Linkster? American Express, I'm taking the other side of that downgrade. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Um, new highs today. Stocks pull back a little bit. Dow's good for about 77, though. Does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.